0: Happy New Year! Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians three fourteen through 21. For this reason I kneel before the Father, for whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glory, riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have
1: Thank you, Jim. So I moved out of my parents' house when I was about 20 years old. And I got married when I was, I think, 33. So I had 13 years of um, bachelor pads, 13 years of living in different places. I lived in five different states over the period of that 13 years Lived in various houses, apartment complexes, dormitories, and I had a lot of different roommates. I had one roommate I'll never forget in seminary. I remember we, we had the same room uh, in this old dorm room, uh, and, and I remember waking up one morning at about 6.30 in the morning to this sound, like this hammering sound, and I wake up and I see my roommate hanging from the rafters with ice climbing gear. He was ice-picking his way around the room uh, with his ice-climbing gear. Uh, We only lasted for about a semester. I moved out went somewhere else. But I'll never forget one of my first roommates. This is back when I was living in Laramie, Wyoming. And one of my first roommates, I was about 20 years old at the time, and I had just started getting into musical improvisation, guitar improv, learning how to do improv, you know, on your guitar and and I had this uh, roommate who was a jazz trumpet player, very, very gifted jazz trumpet player. And I'm like, you know what, I need get some tips from this guy. Like, how, you know, what do I do? And so I asked him one day, I'm like, hey, can you give me some tips on just, you know, how you improv and how you do that? And, and this is what he says to me. He goes, he goes, oh, man, just, just ride the wave. I'm like, What? He's like, yeah, man, when I'm playing, I'm just, I'm just, I'm not thinking, man. I'm just, you just got to ride the wave. And, And I remember, I mean, later on, as I started to get into it more, I started to kind of understand a little bit what he was saying. But at that particular moment, that was not what I needed to hear. Like, I needed something concrete. I needed some specific steps on how to implement this whole improv thing. I think that for many of us, When we think about the question of how can I come to know God, the idea of coming to know and enter into and be in relationship with God is about as mysterious as jazz improvisation. And and we need, you know, how do I come to know God? Just ride the wave, man, just ride the wave. Like, that's not going to cut it. Like, we need some practical steps. Today, we are finishing up a series which we began about six weeks ago at the beginning of Advent, of Advent, a series called God is Here, because that is the central message of the Christmas story. We can get so caught up and distracted in all of the different things that, that are now a part of our cultural experience of the holiday season uh, we can get caught up in it and we can miss what it's all about. The, when, you, when you see the nativity scenes that's, that are still up in many people's yards, when you hear the Christmas carols proclaiming about the coming of this tiny little baby in some place called Bethlehem, we can lose sight, if we're not careful, we'll lose sight of what, what is this all about. It's the announcement that God is here, that all of that religious stuff means nothing if we've forgotten the point. If we remember the point, then that religious stuff is everything. It can become everything. It can become so influential on us. We can find ourselves surrounded by and constantly reminded of this incredible reality that God is here. That's what Christmas is announcing. God is here, and God is is here because of nothing other than His grace. Is it Christmas is announcement of the grace of God? Because you have to ask yourself, well, why did he come? Why did he come? And the answer is for no good reason at all. Except that he loves us. He didn't come because humanity finally got their acts together. God was waiting for humanity to get their stuff together. And once they finally did, okay, you guys finally did, did enough. You finally, you know, worked things out. Now I can come be with you. As if some, you know, all of a sudden, 2,000 years ago, humanity got really good or something like that. No, no, no. He came because of his grace. For no other reason. Christmas is a reminder, this announcement that God has come on the basis of his grace. And, And that because he has come for us, now we can know him. That's a corollary of it. If God is here, if God has come on the basis of his grace, then a corollary of that is that God can be known. And what we discover as we look in this passage in Ephesians is that God can be known in a close and experiential way. We looked at this last week. Those of you who were here last week, and maybe the passage that Jim read sounded vaguely familiar because it's the same passage that was read last week. This is a passage in the book of Ephesians that when I've studied it, There's almost just too much in it to try to put into one message. And so here we are, two messages worth of material in this passage. And what we looked at last week is that God is a God who can be known. God can be known in an experiential way. God can be known in a way, and we looked at how in the story of Christmas with the coming of baby Jesus, the angel comes to Mary and tells Mary that Mary's going to have a baby. Mary's freaked out that she's pregnant And Mary says, how can this be, and a lot of translations say, how can this be since I am a virgin? But what it literally says is, how can this be when I have not known a man? That's literally what it says. How can this be when I have not known a man? And as we highlighted last week, that doesn't mean she doesn't know any men. It means that she hadn't known any men, if you know what I mean. She's talking about, I haven't been intimate. I haven't had an intimate encounter with, with a man, and so in, in the context of a marital relationship, that word no can refer to something very intimate. Now, of course, this word then, more generally, outside of that context, just refers to an experience of something—not just a head knowledge, not just a sort of cognitive awareness of something, but an, an experience. And what, what what this is saying, when we come into the Book of Ephesians, and it uses the same word. I, I, look at this here. It says. Uh, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Know, and the word know, there's the same word that Mary uses. It's this this word that refers to an experiential kind of knowledge. We looked at Psalm 34, 8, which says, taste and see." that the Lord is good. What a weird verse. Taste? And see, if you're a right-brained, kind of logical, rational thinker, taste God? Now that just doesn't compute, right? It's a word that's talking about an experience that you can have with the presence of God. And this, this knowledge, this knowledge of God we see within the context of the book of Ephesians is not just for us. Paul prays for the church to experience God in this way, but it's not just for us. He goes on, he says in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And within the context of the letter, it's clear that what he's talking about, the the things that God wants to do in and through us aren't even necessarily for us. God wants to use us, use the church, use his followers to be the means through which healing and reconciliation come into this world. We're called to be the means through which God brings healing into this world. But what Paul knows is that that, that's not possible in any meaningful sense if we don't really know God in a personal way. We can do a lot of really good things. A lot of people can do a lot of good things. A lot of people who don't even know God can do a lot of good things. But what Paul's getting at is there's something about when you know God It colors everything that you do. It colors the good things that you do. And it gives them something that those on the outside look at and say, there's something different about that. The question then is, how can I come to know God? How can I come to experience God? And it's not going to work to just say, ride the wave. Just ride the wave, folks. You want to know God? Just ride the wave. Now, we need, we need some practical steps. So I think in this passage, I'm going to give you four practical ways in which you can seek to know God. First of all, pray. Ask God to make himself known to you. We see this is what Paul's doing. Paul's, Paul's praying. I pray. That you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. He's praying that they would come to know the love of God. And we, we, we need to pray this, right? We need to pray this for ourselves. You know, I think what I'm getting at here is we might pray, but we usually pray for God to give us things. Paul's saying pray that God will give us himself, right? I mean, if you think about it, what do we usually pray about? Oh, God, you know, please... Uh, uh, God, help, you know, whatever. I think I might get fired from my job. Help me to not get fired. Or if I do, help me to find another job. Or, or God, you know, somebody in my family is sick and I need you to bring healing into their life. Or, or, you know, some friends, their marriage is struggling. God, I pray that you would help work their marriage out. All great things. All great things which we are, of course, called to pray for those things. But what Paul is saying is, you know, Wait, wait a minute. Maybe we shouldn't just be praying for God to give us these certain things, but to pray that he would give us himself. God, I, I need you. You know, the Lord's Prayer, this famous prayer that emerges in a couple of places in the Gospels where the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. He says, well, you could got to pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this daily bread. It's one of the lines, give us this daily bread. And, of course, that is often taken to mean, well, yeah, I, I need to pray for my daily bread. Like, you know, my paycheck, I, the, the daily things that I, I need, I got to pray. And, of course, that, of course, is a, a perfectly good way of understanding that passage. But when you realize what he's hinting at, that, that, the context of when he says, give us this daily bread, what he's actually making an allusion to as He so often does, is the story of the people of Israel, the story of the people of Israel coming out of the exodus and coming out of Israel, the exodus, coming out of Egypt, I'll get right eventually, coming out of Egypt, and then they're wandering in the desert for 40 years, and God miraculously provides bread for them. That's the allusion that He's pointing to when He says, give us this daily bread. Jesus then also goes on elsewhere to talk about that very passage And he says, Moses gave you this bread in the desert. He says, but you're still going to die if you just eat that bread. And then he says, I am the bread of life. He says, I'm what you need more than any of that that I could give you. You need me. So when we pray for our daily bread, it's a prayer for more of God to come. God, I need you every day. God, I need to come to know you and to experience you in my life. And, and, and to pray this for ourselves, you see, and not just for others. I think it's not all that uncommon to pray for others to come to know God. I pray this for my kids all the time. Every night, God, i praying with them. I pray that they would come to know the love of God. Might pray this for your neighbors. Might pray this for family members, friends. But how often do we pray it for ourselves? God, I want to know you. I want to encounter you. I want to experience you. It's prayer. How do we come to know God? Asking him to reveal himself to us. And I think it comes with a certain desperation. The kind of prayer that really connects with God is a desperate kind of prayer. Let me read to you Genesis chapter 32. And I think we see in this a picture of what desperation looks like. This is Genesis chapter 32. Here we find Jacob, uh, and Jacob has been uh, out of the land of Canaan for about a decade and a half, and he's on his way back to Canaan. And he's back. He's a little bit nervous on his way back because when he left, the reason that he left is that he got in a fight Well, he stole his brother Esau's birthright. And he was running for his life, knowing that Esau wanted to kill him. So, he's, he's coming back now. He's nervous. He doesn't know how this is going to go. And he's on his way back. And, and here's, here's what it says here at one particular point in his journey on the way back. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his 11 sons and crossed the fort at Jabbok. Okay. So, clearly, he'd, he'd been busy. He'd gotten a lot done in the, the decade and a half that he was gone. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Now, there's a lot in that passage, raises a lot of questions. I'm not going to get into the different things we could when trying to unpack the bizarreness of that story. And I'll just admit that that's just a strange story. But for our purposes, what I want to highlight, this is a passage in which Jacob wrestles with someone that is, represents God. He's wrestling with this man who represents God. And what you see here is that Jacob will not let go. He is desperate. The guy dislocates his hip. That's probably what it means, something like that. Now, I, I've never been a wrestler, but I'm just guessing if you dislocate your hip, that's when you tap out. Right? I mean, I'm, man, you dislocate my hip. I'm done. You right, all come back. No, he doesn't even get, like, he's got a dislocated hip. He's like, no, I don't care how much this hurts. I am not leaving until you bless me. Jacob is at a point where he knows how much he needs God. It's that If we use this as a picture for the kind of prayer that allows us to connect with God, it's prayer that comes from a place of desperation. Psalm forty-two, one, famous verse is, "As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs for you, O God." As the deer pants for streams of water, oh, how my soul longs for you, o God. I love that verse, although I think it's one that's become almost too familiar. It's the kind of verse that shows up on coffee mugs, a uh, kind of verse that might show up on a little plaque that you'd put in your office or in your house as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs after you. And there was a song that came out 30 years ago, a sweet little song. As the deer panteth for the water. Just this, you know, nice little, and it kind of conjures up images of this deer having a nice little prance through through the woods. And oh, there's some nice water over there. I'll go over there and touch my lips to the That is not the picture of this verse. This is talking about a deer who is going to die as a deer pants for streams of water because the deer knows the deer is going to die if he doesn't find water. There's a desperation to it, right? right? It's it's like when when, when you come to God and you ask God, reveal yourself to me, it's, it's not, it can't be it can't be like, I need a little more God in my life, you know? You know, it's about balance, you know? You got, you got work, and family, and God. You just got to find that right kind of balance there, you know? Kind of like you're making a recipe, you know? Oh, oh, this just needs a little more Jesus, just a little bit more. Now, that's how we think we like, trying to figure out the right recipe for our life. Just a little more. Not too much, Jesus. Woo. No, that's, that's going to overpower. See, that's how we, I think we approach our relationship with God. But no, this is a deer who's going to die if he doesn't get to the water. It's that kind of all-in desperation that can lead to us really coming to know God. Prayer is what enables us to come to know God. And an important component of that prayer, of what we're praying for, is actually, I think, praying for faith. This is interesting. It emerges here, getting back to our passage in Ephesians, in verses 16 and 17. Again, this whole thing is a prayer, right? So Paul says this in verse 16 and 17, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Interesting little qualifying phrase. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That it's through faith that enables God to come into our hearts through faith, through trust. Whenever you see the word faith in the Bible, don't just think belief, think trust. It means trust. It means if I trust God, then I can come to know God. If I trust God, I can come to know God. Now, think about that for a minute because that is the complete opposite of how we approach most relationships. Think about this. What it usually is is, well, before I can trust them, I need to get to know them, right? If I get to know them, well, okay, now I've gotten to know you, and now I can trust you. There is this sense in which with God, it's I trust you, and in that trusting, I come to know you. In that trusting, in that act of faith, that is what enables me to come to know God. Because at the heart of you, God is a God of salvation. That's what he is. That's what you come to know. But you can only come to encounter that through trust. So Paul's praying that they would have faith. Paul's praying that they would... Trust God. We need to pray that for ourselves. God, give me faith. Allow me to trust you. And in that trusting, to be able to come to know you. Okay, how do we come to know God? Four things. The first one was the longest. The next three are not as long. How do we come to know God? First of all, through prayer, praying that God would reveal himself to us. Secondly, through submission, through surrendering ourselves to God. We see this in verse 14, just the way he puts this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. It's sort of interesting because uh, apparently the early church, they they would usually uh, pray standing up. So here he's he's talking about him kneeling as he prays. And, of course, this idea of kneeling was something that was drawn from a world in which you had kings, you had royalty, and you would kneel before someone that you were submitting to. It was a way of saying, you're in control, I am not. So when he says, I kneel before the Father, it's an act of surrender. In other words, for us to come to really know God requires that we surrender ourselves to him. There's, of course, the famous story of a rich man who comes to Jesus, says, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God, which is another way of saying, what must I do to come to know you? what must I do to know the power of God? And he says, oh, well, you need to sell all of your possessions and give to the poor. Now, why does he say that to the rich man? Because he knows that the rich man needs to surrender everything to him, and that his wealth, his riches, are really what he looks to for life. That's really what he looks to to provide for himself, to care for himself, is his wealth. That's where his security is in and so he's saying, look, you, you, if you want to know me, that cannot be what is your priority. You have to surrender that to me. It's a matter of giving up idols is what we're talking about. This is, again, getting into the concept of idolatry, which is an idol is anything you can't live without. An idol is anything that, to you, you would die if you didn't have it. Right? I, like the, I like to use the illustration from... Uh, the movie Spaceballs, where I can't even remember the princess's name. It's been many years since I saw the movie. But, uh, but the, the, uh, the, the main character, the Luke Skywalker, uh, or Han it's really more like Han Solo. The Han Solo copy, whatever his name is. Lone Star, that's his name. Uh, Lone Star rec- rescues the princess, and their ship crashes on a desert planet, and they realize they're going to have to hike somewhere. And, and so Lone Star's like, take only what you need to survive. And uh, so then they go out in the desert, and, and he's having to, like, carry or pull this massive suitcase that the princess has. And he's pulling it, and he's pulling it, and he's like, what, what is this? I told you to only take what you need to survive. And he's pulling it and pulling it. finally he gets fed up, and he opens it up, and it's this massive hairdryer. And the princess says, that is my industrial-strength hairdryer. And I can't live without it. What's your industrial strength hairdryer? What are the things that you cling to? And what I love about that scene is just how ridiculous it makes her look. It's a great picture of what really all of our lives are like. That in comparison to what we really need, it's ridiculous. The things that we think we need. What are those things in your life? Whether it's your career... Whether it's uh, financial things, whether it's food, it could be any kind of thing. It could be television. I think increasingly, some of us are like, I mean, God, I'll, I'll give up. I'll give you anything but, um, except for my Netflix subscription. I mean, well, no, 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 I'm not going to give that up. I could never give that up. I mean, it can be little things, but these are things that pull away our heart from Him and cause this sort of disconnect in our relationship. Tim Keller talks about how even just psychologically, you can't really come to know God if really your heart is into something else. I mean that's true in any kind of relationship, right? I mean if you're you're married, but the reality is is you're kind of you keep flirting with somebody at work and 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 you're kind of becoming more and more attached to them, and you're like, "I feel like I don't even know my spouse anymore. It's like, "Well, duh." Yeah, of course. How are you going to, there's a, there's a, even psychologically, there's a disconnect there. And in the same sense, when we, when we find our hearts really gravitating towards any of the things in life that can, can do that, and then we wonder why we don't know God. No, we've got to surrender these things to God. God, I submit this to you. I kneel before you. Surrender. Surrender is what enables us. To be able to connect with God and know God. So prayer, submission, slash surrender. And thirdly, meditation. Meditation, practical step, practical way of allowing ourselves to come to know God. Um, verses 17 and 18, second half of 17, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. To grasp. This word grasp is a word that really means to wrestle to the ground. It's the kind of word that would be used by the, uh, in a military context to sack a city, to take a city, to, to, to wrestle, to, take, to sort of take it down. It's this idea of, and I would say the way this applies in our own lives is the idea of grasping the love of God is you've got to wrestle your own soul. You've got to wrestle with. You've got to work the love of God into your soul, and meditation is a way in which you can do this. I I love Psalm 42, 5. It says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. I love how that starts. Why are you downcast, O my soul? It's, it's a psalm where he's talking to himself. The psalmist is talking to his own soul. Like, come on, soul. Get your act together, soul. What is wrong with you, soul? It's a sort of wrestling match to get the truth of God into your soul. Uh, a good friend of mine that I was in a band with for many years ago, we kind of grew up. Uh, he actually is the reason I started playing guitar, and we were in a band for many years. He's now a pastor in Florida. And I remember him telling me at one point that every day, and I don't know if he's still doing this because we haven't really talked about this in a while, but years ago at least, he would get up every day, he would get in the shower. And he would stay in the shower and he would say over and over again, Psalm 118, 24, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And he says he would stand in the shower and he would say it over and over and over again until his soul got it. Some mornings would take like three minutes. Some mornings run out of hot water. But he would just wrestle his soul with the truth of God until it got in there. That's what meditation is. It's taking the truths of scripture, it's taking the truths of the gospel. It's taking the truths of who God is as is revealed in scripture and wrestling it into our souls. You know, that that's really that's my hope for us every Sunday when we gather together here. That's what we're doing just trying to wrestle the truth of God into our souls. Oftentimes I say the same thing. It's not like I'm necessarily saying something new every week. But we're taking those truths and we're just trying to wrestle it into our hearts. Meditation is a way in which we wrestle, or meditation is a way in which we can come to know God. So we have prayer, submission, we have meditation. And then fourthly, through community, Christian community is central to being able to connect with and come to know God. Here in verse 18, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all, may have power together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of God is. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints. Friends, there's a sense in which we can't do this alone. We can't do this alone. If we go off on our own, there, you will dry up. You just will. You need people around you to encourage you when you're down, to say those truths of the gospel into your own life when you can't bring yourself to for whatever reason. We need community. I would encourage you. This is why we do our community groups. This is why we do these kinds of activities is to find people with whom you can connect, that you can encourage one another with the truths of God because you can't can't do it on your own. Christmas is the announcement that God is here. As we take down these decorations at the end of the service, I pray with... Every flower we put away, we would be reminding ourselves, God is here. And because God is here, God can be known. We can come to be in a relationship with this God. And my prayer for each and every one of us in 2020 is this, that we would come to know God. My prayer is that you would make that part of your vision, your 2020 vision is that this would be a year in which we as a church might come to know God better. I believe that God wants to do amazing things through this church, as he has for 100 years. God wants to do great things through this church in our community and around the world, but it's never really going to work unless we know God. The more we know God, the more the things that we do will really have pray with me? Dear God, we come before you this morning and we lift up this coming year. We pray that it would indeed be a year in which we would come to know you. Uh, We pray that this would be a year in which we would surrender ourselves more to you. Uh, We pray that this would be a year in which the scriptures would become alive to us, maybe for the first time, The scriptures would have a life to them that we had never seen before. Maybe for some of us, there would be a a flame that would be reignited as we pursue you. God, we lift up our church and ask that you would reveal yourself to us. We pray this in Jesus' name.